Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've been following Paul through, the, through his travels, and he's kind of traveled all over the, the known world at, the, at this point. And last Sunday, we see that he ended up in prison. And it was actually a palace prison. In fact, uh, it's still prison, but I told you that I was going to show you a Roman hot tub. And some of you kind of laughed and didn't believe me. So here's a picture of a Roman hot tub. This is in Caesarea, and literally this is where the, uh, the, you know, the guy in charge of, of Israel at that time and all that built the, the palace. In fact, Herod the Great built this palace in, in about 10 B.C., and he, he added a few other things. It was a big um, port area, and this is literally one of the, uh, one of the um, anchors off of a ship they found out in the harbor. Or they, they, they literally built a man-made harbor out in this, uh, this port of Caesarea. It's really fascinating. They went out there, and, and basically they sank cement, their version of cement, and it sank down and created a break, and all the ships would come into Caesarea, and that's where the, the palace was built, and a couple of more, um, in fact, the palace was built out over the water, he had an indoor, outdoor pool, uh, not that Paul would have, but the, the guy in charge would have had this, so I mean, Paul's kind of standing some uh, really nice digs, I mean, it's not like he's behind bars in, in prison, and here's a what they call a hippodrome, and this is where, you've seen Ben, Ben-Hur, and a guy's, you know, on the horses and, and they're going around in, you know, they're, they're, they're basically racing and trying to survive without being knocked over and all that. This is the type of stuff that they would do. So in fact, uh, one of, uh, I think in about 2 BC, they built those extra bleachers on there above their storehouses and, and they turned into uh, gladiators and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so I mean, Paul was in a, in a very ritzy area at this point. He wasn't like behind bars in a dungeon when he was in prison. Now through my studies, um, I've actually found some writings about Paul that, that aren't in the Bible. It's other guys that wrote during that time and, and you know, reliable source. And he talks about Paul as being a very little man who was bow-legged, bald-headed, with beetling eyebrows. I had to look up the word beetling. It means pointy eyebrows. Now, there's a whole bunch of different definitions, but at that time, that's what it meant. And he had big eyes, they said. Big eyes. This is not an impressive man. He walks into the room and everybody goes, oh, he must be in charge. That, that's not who Paul was. Paul was like this little guy kind of walking into the room. Now you felt Paul before, for his energy, but he was not an impressive guy. But you felt him because he was a very driven guy. Paul was just, he was one of those go-getters. He was on a mission early in life to stamp out Christianity. He had witnessed the stoning of Stephen, and, and it changed his life. He never forgot that. And then on the Damascus Road, Jesus got a hold of him. Now, we think of, of as we read through the Bible, we think we hit these different uh, characters in history, these different guys and, and ladies in history, and we think, man, they must have had a great life. I mean, their lives aren't as messy as my life. Certainly not. Really? Then you haven't been paying attention to the story of Paul. The Bible is so full of messy stories with the Holy Spirit intervening and seeing how God interacts with us. Now we see that Paul, he will go over the same story over and again and again and again. 
I mean, this book would be a lot shorter if Paul would just be quiet and tell the story once. This is sometimes how people feel when we start talking with them, right? They're going, oh, I've heard this before. I wish he'd be quiet. Some of us are talkers. Some of us are listeners. And some of us just kind of walk away. You know, you know what I mean? The fascinating thing with Paul is the more he tells a story, the less it becomes about Paul and the more it becomes about Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a fascinating thing about Paul. Now, we'll also see Paul react in different situations. Last week, it, it was a riot. And, and this week, it'll be in front of, of government officials. He has traveled thousands of miles by now, sharing the grace of God to whomever he could. He's a guy who didn't understand grace, but the Lord had changed him now. He still has some of that fire in him. And, and every book we'll see that it starts out with grace. But, I mean, to the Corinthians, I mean, he starts out with grace, but then he totally rebukes the church, literally the church members, for the way they were acting. They were going against God. In the middle of the book, he hits his love chapters that I'll even use at the wedding today. We call it the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, all those wonderful things. I mean, Paul's just nailing the guys in Corinthians. And then he hits this chapter. And then he goes back to nailing them more. But he ends it with grace. Paul, the man who did not understand grace, is full of grace. But it's not the world's. You know, he's, he's just being real with people. But it's not the world's real. You know what I'm saying? But it's real through Christ. Now what's fascinating about Paul at this point in his life is he does not speak to huge crowds after this. Paul's, Paul wants to gather as many people as he can to tell them about Jesus. But at this point, it's more individuals. It's more like in the court system in a sense. He, you know, it gets littler and littler. Then it becomes one-on-one with the guards. He does not speak to huge crowds. Speaking to soldiers, to governors, and even Caesar himself. His audiences are very interesting. You think the crowds should get bigger. Because we're like that. Well, next year's event ought to be bigger, right? And if it's not as big, or if it's not bigger, then what? It's not a a success. We rate churches a lot like that, too. I'm guilty of that myself. I'm like, man, we should, you know, it should be like this. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've been a part of hopping ministries. I've been a part of, uh, of churches where, I mean... They've doubled in a year, and then the year after that, they double. And the year after that, you double, and, and you're just pulling your hair out, and you're just trying to keep up with God. God doesn't do that with every congregation. God doesn't do that with everybody. He, de- he deals with different people different ways. And with Paul, he's doing the same thing. For the Apostle Paul, it's not about crowds. It's about who God directs him to. See, our greatest impact may be just ahead of us, no matter what our age is. Now, it's easy for a young person to say, right? I'm going to impact the world. I have all these dreams. I have all these ideas. And, man, I'm just going for it. And and you have your whole life ahead of you. It's not so easy for a middle-aged guy, right? I have 40 this year. I'm supposed to have some crisis, I think. Well, what if you got a lot of gray hair? i got a little gray hair in my goatee here. What if you have a lot of gray hair? Your impact in life can be just, you know, the greatest impact can be just right around the corner. We never give up. That's what Paul did. He never gave up. Last week, the Lord came to him and said to him, be courageous. And he has human emotions just like we do. Uh, you know, and, and he can be a great role model for us of someone who struggles. Someone who struggles where God has him. 
Maybe where God is sending him. Or who is listening to him or who's not listening to him. I'm sure Paul had to be so frustrated with the, with the Jewish leaders for not listening. They just don't understand. He's a challenge for all of us. Now, a quick review. I know that's an oxymoron for me, but a quick review. He wants to get to Jerusalem, but he was born in Tarshish. By college, he, you know, he finally made it to Jerusalem in college years, and, and early on he was asked to join the Sanhedrin, and this was, a, this was a big deal for him and his family. He goes, you know, he starts to go after Christians, those that, that are, go against his beliefs. Then he meets Jesus. Spends the rest of his life bringing Jesus to others while he traveled the world. Starts many churches along the way. Makes his way back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. It was very important for him to be there during a, during a feast time. His presence in the temple area causes a riot. The Roman commanders above the temple area sees what's going on and he goes down there and he rescues him. But he also arrests him. They're about to start whipping him and to get all their information about what was going on. When he says what? I'm a Roman citizen. You're not about to whip me, are you? You can't do that to a Roman citizen without, without charge, without a cause. And we see the politicians, and, and we'll see this over and over as we go forward. Politicians... And soldiers really take to Paul for some reason. They really like this guy. They relate to him in a way that, that, uh, that you know, apparently the, the Jewish leaders can't. They're fascinated by him because he's a very interesting person. He's very multifaceted. Yet, in your presence, he's not multifaceted. He's one-on-one. He can deal with a lot, but when he comes down to talking with you, he's talking with you. He's mimicking Jesus. It's not an act. It's an imitation of Jesus. It's being lived out through Him. And this is what's happening to to some of us. Some of you are being changed by Jesus. And as you begin to be be changed, you you know, you want to make sure, you, you know, we're not doing Jesus. We're not acting Jesus. We don't show up to church and we have our church face and our church clothes, and then we go home and then we have our home face, which is totally different. And our own clothes, which are totally different. It's the same. It's the same. We want to be real, and that's what Paul was. Make sure we're not acting, or performing, or being religious. This is why so many churches have so many problems. Because we start acting. This is why we've got to be like Jesus everywhere. Get to know Jesus, and we'll see things happen. And we begin to pray like Jesus, respond like Jesus. An exciting life to be a Christian. So here we have Paul, he's arrested. Not because he did anything, but the Romans put him in a room with the Sanhedrin. They all freak out. They want to kill him again. So he's getting rescued again by the the Roman commander. And then they find out there's a plot to kill him. So the commander takes him to Caesarea, where I just showed you the pictures, to get him out of Jerusalem. And, you know, over 400 soldiers escort him out of town. So he's imprisoned in this palace, and he's waiting on a hearing. And that's where we're going to pick up today, in Acts chapter 24, verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullius. He's a Roman orator. You almost think of, think of this like, a, um, like the Supreme Court. Not everybody can go to our Supreme Court and stand in front of the judges and 
say their thing. You have to have guys that are certified in a sense. This guy was certified to go before the governor here. And they brought charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullius presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. This is just the beginning. It gets deeper from here, I tell you. This guy's given a bunch of baloney here. We've enjoyed a long period of peace under you. Now, why do I say baloney? Because the Jews literally hated Felix. We know this from both Jewish history and Roman history. They did not like this governor whatsoever. Let me tell you about Felix. He lied all the time for his benefit. He deceived all the time just to benefit him. He was on his third wife by now. He's a very immoral man. And and we don't really have time to tell you about the first two wives. But to tell you the third wife, he met his match. And we'll we'll get to some of that a little bit later. But he met his match on this one. But this guy was so corrupt that two years later, the Jews began rioting in the streets in Caesarea. And the Greeks took the opportunity because they wanted to be in charge. So they literally started a civil war right there in Caesarea. So the civil war breaks out and, and, you know, Felix, you know, he can't control it. So he brings in the Roman legions and you would think that it would fight the Greeks, right? Because they're the ones wanting, you know, to be in control. No, he starts fighting the Jews. He starts killing men, women, and children of the Jews and he leaves the Greeks alone. I mean, just, this is just who he is. So two years from this statement of, you're so great by Tertullius, They say, we love you so much. You're such a great leader. You know, uh, corrupt politicians. I I know we can't relate to that whatsoever in today's day and age. I understand that. But in verse 3 it says, Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. I mean, he's just brown-nosing all the way here. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. I mean, this is the Eddie Haskell approach for those of the older generation here. Nice pearls, Mrs. Cleaver. Is young Theodore around? This is what he's going for. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. It's a wonder you haven't ever heard of him. So glad I was, I was here to really tell you about this evil man. He is a ringleader of this Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all the charges we are bringing against him. Charges. Now remember, they weren't bringing charges. What were they doing? They were beating him to death. They weren't bringing charges. Felix, you need to deal with this guy. We, we, we tried to deal with him. You need to deal with him. We were just trying to take care of the problem before it actually reached your, your plate. You, you understand what we're saying here. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. Yep, what he said, we agree. Yep. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. What is Paul doing here? He's bringing up the facts. See, this is one of the things that false accusers hate. They hate facts. They love emotions. 
All these guys are bringing in the motions, and Paul, Paul is just going to you know, bring up the facts. And they can't stand it. He's like, you know, seven days I become the troublemaker? I mean, in 12 days I've only been here, and now I'm their biggest threat? My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. I didn't break any laws, and they know it. This is why it's so confusing to Felix. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers and the follower of the way, which, is, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. You know what he's saying here? I'm actually one of these guys. I've just extended my beliefs a little bit. I got saved. I worship the same God, the same law, and the prophets. I believe all this stuff. But I also believe in Jesus. And he goes on to say, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. Now, this is an interesting statement. He made this statement once before. And Ananias, the high priest, was standing there. You remember what happened? Ananias said, slap that guy, and they slapped Paul. And Paul pretty much rebuked Ananias. Or Ananias. But what happens here? He doesn't get slugged. They just let it go on by. Verse 17, it says, After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts of the, uh, for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. And there was no crowd with me. Nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Felix, have you seen my real accusers? They're not even here, he's saying. Of these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was the one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. The Apostle Paul is saying, I just presented my case and I'm done. But since we have a little time here, let me tell you about Jesus. That's why he's bringing up the resurrection of the dead here. He's taking the opportunity. This is why they're really mad at me, you see. It's about this resurrection. You see, here's the deal. And this is where we bring it kind of into the 21st century for us. The Apostle Paul is not allowing them to define who he is in this court. And it's a difficult battle. It's a very hard uphill climb. You know, he's not going to allow Tortilius or anyone else to define who he is or what he stands for. In the 21st century, we have a formidable task in this battle. Because as soon as you say something about Darwin, as soon as you say something about abortion or homosexuality or any other sin, drinking too much, or, you know, we always bring up the, the, you know, the four or five that are quite obvious, but there's so much more on lying and, and fibbing and, and, you know, going against God's ways. You can bring up any of it, but as soon as you bring it up, you're automatically grouped with people that use the world's way to fight. You're automatically grouped there. They may be going to heaven by by God's mercy and grace, but they're not using God's grace and mercy when they're out there talking about Him or talking about the, the sin of this world. 
See, our, our, our first reaction is to do what? Defend ourselves. I told her. I told him. I'm not going to let them get... And we get all upset, right? See, the Lord will put us before Felix. The Lord will put us before Hephaestus, Hephaesta, which is a, you know, another official, or, or Caesar himself. And when you're there, there are those who will try to define you. And you will have to go, wait, 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 wait. Who am I? And they say, well, I know who you are. You're the ones that, that are trying to get children to pray in, pray in school to take away their First Amendment rights. You're the ones trying to shove Jesus down the, the throats of kids. And that's so far from who you are. But somehow they grouped you in this. And the court of public opinion is against you. The best way to redefine who you are is one-on-one conversations. Fighting by typing on a computer and sending it out there into no man's land in a sense, that doesn't do any good because you just get lumped in with everybody else. But we have the chance to say, you know what, that's not who I am. Jesus taught me how to love people. I'm a lot nicer than, than how the media has, has portrayed me. The best way to sway somebody is by the grace and peace of Christ to be the center of your relationship, your friendship with them. You see, for the Apostle Paul, he was prepared for this. He prepared himself for this. And this is what we should do. We should prepare ourselves. Verse 22, it goes on, it says, In Felix, who is well acquainted with the way, and when you see the words, the way, that's what they used to call Christians back then. It wasn't until the second century that really Christianity and little Christ and, and uh, you know, we, we took on the word Christian. It wasn't really until the second century. Back then, in the, in the first century, we were talking about the way. Adjourn the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. He's keeping Paul at odds with his accusers. His accusers just flattered the judge. Oh, great Felix. Oh, oh, wonderful Felix. You've treated us so well over the years, but it didn't work. He basically said, Paul, you're free to roam around, but you've got to come back at night. He's almost under like house arrest. He can kind of go out, but he has to come back at a certain period. He has a lot of freedom here. It says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish uh, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Drusilla was his third wife. And Felix's power will be taken from him in two years, and Festus will take over. But Felix's wife actually leaves him, becomes the mistress of, of Titus, the commander that defeated the Jewish rebellion. So, I mean, this is, you know, but at this point in his life, life is great for him. So you see that, that Felix, it seems that Felix is drawn toward Paul. He's drawn toward the, the message of Christ. But like moths of flame, they get a little too close, they get scared, and they go away, right? That heat kind of intimidates them. Verse 26, it says, or 25, as Paul discour- uh, discouraged uh, or discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Paul's just talking away, and Felix, Felix is just getting more and more afraid. 
Paul's talking about things that are really hitting him, you know, hitting this guy, you know, just really going at him. But think about this. Paul's talking to the guy in charge. I'm sure that Paul had to be a little bit intimidating. This would be like for us, like a president, I mean, a, a meeting with the president, Barack Obama. Well, if I ever met him, I'd give him peace of my mind. Come on. I mean, would you really unload on the guy? No. <laughs> Some people are going, yeah. Other people are going, no, I would give him due respect. He is the president. I may not believe the exact same things. I may believe some of the things. I'm not sure. But I would at least give him that due respect. There's a respect that comes with the position. But it is a little intimidating here. Paul is talking to him about righteousness, about self-control and judgment to come. But he teaches it so graciously that they keep inviting him back and saying, we want to hear more about this. He gets a little, he starts really kind of thinking a little too deep and he goes, okay, that, enough, you go away. But then later on he's like, you know, come on back, I want to talk to you. He does this over and over again. Verse 26, it says, at the same time he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. He basically, you know, had heard enough about Paul and his, all his travels, and he's thinking, man, either this guy's rich or his family's rich or, or whatever. I, I'm just going to wait for him to say, hey, I'd like to get out of jail. How much would that cost? And he would tell him he'd give him the money. I mean, that's kind of the way of the world, isn't it? That's the way that, that this uh, leader's trying to do it. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by... Uh, uh, Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Well, what is this saying? It's really setting us up for next Sunday. But for all the hobnobbing going on, for, for all the stuff, all the meetings that he has, Paul stays in jail for two years. And Festus and Drusilla were never reached. Their lives never portray that they ever really took what Paul said to heart and changed their lives. However, for doing that, no charges were ever filed. So for two years, a friend of Christ, the one that went out into the world and introduced Christ to the Gentile world, the one that we look at and say, man, of, you know, of you know, of all the, the disciples, of all those that, that followed Christ, for all those that, you know, in this history. I mean, Paul's up there with Moses. Paul's up there with Abraham. I mean, Paul. For two years, the Lord inconvenienced a man who called Jesus his Lord and Savior and friend. I mean, the Lord knows he's been falsely accused. He's been in prison. He's been, you know, he's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been spat upon. The Lord himself went through this, and the Lord was actually crucified by the very people who praised him the week before. Nevertheless, since our Lord endured it, endured it he knows that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can endure things. And Paul's been enduring it for two years in jail. For you, whatever jail is, you know, it's almost like our lives are, are like the Monopoly game sometimes. I've been on this board all day long and I haven't passed go and I'm not collecting 200 bucks. I'm stuck. And this is how we feel sometimes walking with the Lord. Somewhere. Somebody back in our Sunday school land, you know, in, the, in those times where we were taught as children. They told us that if we really served the Lord, life would get easier. 
They lied to us. Easier is not the word. It gets better, but it doesn't get easier. We're able to handle things that we never thought we'd be able to handle. It gets better, not easier. There's a difference. See, the quality of life is not based on our circumstances. The quality of life is not based on the pressures of your life. The quality of life is not based on the temperature of your life. The quality of life is not based on the atmosphere of your life. But the quality of life is based on the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul writes, In Him we live and move and have our being. In Him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. You know, we can't wait till life gets better to start enjoying the fruit of the Spirit. It happens when we're sitting in jail. Most of the books that Paul wrote, and we look back and we go, man, this just nugget of truth is unbelievable. I mean, he writes to the, the Philippians. He's in jail most of the time. This is where we find our peace. This is when we find it the most. Someone, you know, sometimes we're sitting here and we're going through absolute hell. But don't wait until circumstances change for you to connect with Jesus. Connect with Him today and He will help you through it. It was the Lord's will for Paul to be in jail for two stinking years. Two years. Why? (laughs) Well, I look at it and go, because of the changing of the guard. The Roman legion guarded people and a group of six. There was two at the door, two at the window, and literally two chained to you, one on each side. Six guys, and they would change every six hours. In two years, think of all the guys that Paul witnessed to. He witnessed to the privates. He witnessed to the sergeants. He witnessed, you know, he, he witnessed to the centurions or the governor or the entire nation. I mean, think about this. Two years' time, an entire regiment was witnessed to. And all these guys, they went all over the world. They would, you know, they're like military guys. Rome says, go here. Guess what? You go. So these guys that Paul's witnessing to are turning around and going out. And many of these guys become believers. We'll see this over and over, how the Roman military loved the Apostle Paul. They loved him and protected him. A week from now, we'll even see how a centurion saved Paul's life. There's something about this guy that soldiers say, that is who I want to be like. He is becoming friends with them. He's sitting down with him. He's at the, you know, eating meal, and he's chained to him. And he's going, "Hey, buddy, t- tell me about your family." And next thing you know, they're having long conversations, and they're starting to treat him well. And they ask, "Well, tell me about your life." And that's all Paul needs. I mean, Paul just, you know, a little crack, and Paul's like a semi truck coming through. You give him an opportunity to talk about Christ, he's going for it. And this is what Paul does with the centurions. Be like that. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you that. Well, I I wouldn't want to offend anyone. You think Paul was an easy guy to be chained to? I mean, think about it. If you didn't want to hear about Christ, man, you got three more hours on your shift and you're stuck. I pray that you will start to become bolder in life. And that we all become more like Paul because he is more like Christ. Christ. 
And people's lives will be changed because of it. Paul, while in prison, had so many, I mean, he affected so many lives. Think about this. We're free. How many lives should we have an effect on? Paul was in prison. We're free. Paul's life was changed by a man named Stephen who he never had a conversation with. That man was martyred in front of Paul. And Paul was holding the coats of the guys who were doing it. And that man, Stephen, put Paul on a path to God. And Paul began to lead the world to God. And then Paul, through the, through the help of the Holy Spirit, left his writings for us. And we're like, wow, great. Where are we going for lunch? Now I pray that this gets under your skin and bugs you. Because you are the generation that will witness to this generation. This generation doesn't get another chance. We're it. Because there will be another generation that replaces us. And they'll be responsible for their generation. We're responsible for the people that we're around today. Will you change your neighborhood? Why not try it? But don't do it through your own strength. But do it through His strength. Before you open your mouth, ask the Holy Spirit to anoint you. Because they should be God's words, not your words. Everyone the Apostle Paul witnessed to didn't become a Christian. Some of them became Christians, but most of them didn't. Jesus even talks about this in his parables. He didn't say that, you know, the, the kingdom of God is like cells. You've got to get a 90% closure rate here or you're going to get fired. He said the kingdom of God is like a man who went out sowing seeds. And even Jesus' story, 75% of, of, of the people don't bear fruit. And that's Jesus talking. So when you try, keep trying because it will happen. But remember that the story takes first place. His story takes first place and not your own. The Lord will show you how to say it, what to say, and when to say it. But we have to be willing to say it. We have to be willing to take Christ to this world. Are you willing to take Christ to this world? You can't trust somebody else to read your neighborhood for Christ. Who's going to do it? I mean, think about it. Who in your neighborhood is going to do it? You waiting around for what? Has your door been knocked on? No. You've got to reach this world for Christ. Maybe you should be the one doing the knocking. Maybe you should be the one doing the inviting. Maybe you should be doing the one saying, you know what? My life has been terrible lately, but let me tell you about what I hold on to. Let me tell you about the hope that I have for my life. Or my life has been great, not because of the world's circumstances, but because of what Jesus Christ did for my life. I'll tell you about the circumstances. You want to hear about circumstances? I'll tell you about circumstances. But let me tell you what I put my hope in, what, where my joy comes from. That's what the world needs to hear. I dare say that most of us aren't willing to do that. Most of us are not willing to go out there and say, let me tell you where my joy comes from. Why? I, part of it, I'd say we're lazy. Just being honest. Part of it, I'd say, is Satan keeping us down? 
And when we finally make that decision, I'm going to change the world for Christ, Satan kind of goes, oh, what was their name again? Okay, what are they doing? And they're coming up against you. But sometimes Satan doesn't have to get involved because we're just too lazy. We're just too lazy. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, start asking God, who should I be talking to? Who should I be inviting? Who should I be sharing, a, sharing Christ to? Then over time, maybe it's the guy you're chained to in the next desk or on your job. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody you're going to meet in the store. I mean, maybe it's just your neighbors. Who is it? Because Christ has somebody that he wants you to talk to about him. He does. Let's pray. Lord, for times we, we just don't understand why you would leave somebody in prison for two years. But at the same time, we don't understand why we would be stuck in certain situations in our own lives. We pray, Lord, that you reveal that to us. That you give us a purpose for where we're at right now. That we know you're, you're taking us to a certain place. But along the way, you want us to change lives. I pray that you set up situations for each one of us to share about you, to share your love and your grace. Not to show how perfect we are, Lord, because we know we're not perfect, Lord. We understand that. But to be able to say, you know what, I messed up, but I asked for forgiveness, and this is what God did for me. He forgave me. And that is what I pin my hope on. That's what I put my joy on. That's where I put my desires. I pray, Lord, that you put people in our lives that we can share to. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May the Lord put you in the right place at the right time to change somebody's life forever. That they'll get to spend eternity with you as you spend it with Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.